Combos Court, Combo Nation. Appreciate the continued support across the globe and all of the listeners that tune in to Combos Court. Combo Nation, what up, what up, what up everyone? Welcome to episode 210, that's right, episode 210 of Combos Court and I am Combo. Don't forget to rate, review, and punch down on that subscribe button right on your Apple Podcast app or wherever you listen to Combos Court. Today's show, Bob Ryan, formerly of the Boston Globe, joins in. You might have caught Bob on the sports reporters around the horn and many, many other places, man. Bob is a true basketball guru, also co-authored the book Drive with Larry Bird. Man, just a great conversation with Bob. Can't wait for you all to hear it. You can find Bob on Twitter at Globe Bob Ryan. That's G-L-O-B-E-B-O-B-R-Y-A-N. You know you can find me on Instagram at one two combo. That's O-N-E-T-W-O-C-O-M-B-O. Intro music by Luca Beats. Let's get into it. Luca, don't do it to him. Bob Ryan, formerly of the Boston Globe. Welcome to Combos Court. How are you feeling today? I'm doing okay. Thanks. Yeah. So um, I wanted to start with Drive because it was actually one of the first basketball books I've ever read. And if it's one of the first basketball books I've ever read, it's probably one of the first books I've ever read. <laughs> so um, just what do you remember about the process of co-authoring that with Larry? It, it, it began at the All-Star Game in Chicago in 1986. Seven, and uh, Bob Wolf, Larry's agent, walked up to me in the lobby of of the hotel, crowded lobby, lots of people, no social distancing, you know, at all, <laughs> no masks, you know, right. drinks in hand, etc., and said, "Larry's ready to do a book, and he'd like you to be the guy." Uh, you, you can imagine, um, took me about what uh, half a second to say yes. Right. So that's where it started. And the process was the way most books of these natures. Uh, this is my. This would have been my third one with somebody with a as a collaborator as a writer. My first one was with John Havlicek in 1976. Then I did one with Bob Cousy, and then I did then this one. And you know, you interview a person on it with on tape. You get the tapes trans over a period of time. You get the tapes transcribed, and you then assemble it. And your goal is to try to write it in the voice of that person as much as possible verbatim as you can. And, and otherwise you need to craft it in, but you're trying to make, always keeping in mind that you're, keep, you're trying to keep the voice of that person and, and that person's uh, approach. And so this is my third one around. So I had a, an idea about how to do it by that time. Uh, and the, the, we spent a week in French Lick. Uh, wow. Now, of course, you have to know, I did, the one reason, we were friendly from the beginning, and I knew a lot of his background. I knew the stories about the high school teammates. I knew the nicknames. I knew, you know, all that stuff. I, I had been to his house 
uh, twice, I believe. And um, well, anyway, you know, and I, I, I was able to bring a lot of the background myself, but uh, the interviews were done over a week's time in French Lake. And I went to his house and stayed there for a week in the summer of 87. And uh, yeah, 88, excuse me. And then, and then wrote and there you go. The book came out during the 88, 89 season. I was taken off the beat by the Boston Globe um, because of the uh, appearance of conflict of interest, which is kind of funny because the book was already written, you know, but anyway, I, and, that, and that was that. So uh, that's the process. What did off seasons look like for Larry Bird in terms of preparation for his season? Because I kind of think of blue chips, like him shooting on that, on that yeah. outdoor, on that outdoor court. What was it? What was it really like for Larry in the off season? Um, he, uh, he was fairly, well, he, he amped, ramped up his, his off season conditioning process the next year, uh, actually. But, um, uh, he, he, he shot on that court a couple of times, I guess. I uh, played golf. Okay. Uh, in fact, in the middle of the week, he had to take a day off to go to Louisville. You know, remember, French Lake is closer to Louisville, as close as it is to Indianapolis. It's in the far southwest corner of Indiana. And um, he was invited to a new club run by some rich Louisville boosters and people called Valhalla. And their goal uh, was to have a course that would be worthy of, of hosting a, a, a major. Well, it turned out they got a Ryder Cup. But uh, he was there. And, and played uh, a charity thing. And I, I was with, I spent the day with him there riding on the cart and, and, uh, and there was, there's a story that fell out of that one at the end. But uh, um, I watched to see, he can play. You can imagine, I knew he loved it. He can play. He was, a, I don't know what his handicap was, but I guarantee it would be a single digit and uh, he can play. And uh, um, so it, uh, that was part of the deal. And then we had a couple of visitors that popped in during the week, uh, Brad Lowhouse, came by. Okay. Rick Carlisle came by, um, you know, but they didn't stay overnight or anything, but they dropped in. Uh, and Larry had next to his pool, a, a, like a cabana house. It was a little, you know, that's where we sat. And that's where we sat. And, and uh, he had a little, little cooler, a little refrigerator and, you know, drank you know, a variety of things. <laughs> Once in a, while, a little bud, a little bud, you know? Okay. And there, there was a funny moment when, uh, we were sitting, we we're going from point A to point B in his, in his car, uh, his truck. And we stopped and he popped open a bud and he said, got to pay Ozzy's salary. He's a Cardinal <laughs> fan and, uh, you know, big Cardinal fan. And of course, Ozzy, Ozzy Smith, for those of you who are too conversant in baseball. But uh, that, that was, I got to pay Ozzy's salary. So that, that was funny. But it was a very entertaining week, you know, fun week. And um, one thing I learned about Larry living in his house, he's a neat freak. Oh, really? Total. He's, he's Felix. He's not Oscar. And <laughs> in that regard, uh, don't leave anything lying around. He didn't believe in that. You should see the neatness of, of all his, his paraphernalia, his, 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 his uh, you know, memorabilia, his hats yeah. and shirts and sweatshirts neatly stacked in a closet. Funny thing was, though, uh, by that time, he had the three MVPs. At least one of them was on the top of a refrigerator. I thought that was pretty funny. Yeah, interesting. You know, on Instagram, I just posted my top five of all time list and Larry at five got a lot of backlash. I had Larry at five all time. Um, where would you rank Larry all time? Well, the all time, it's been pushed back because uh, I had him. He's still starting on the all time team as a starting forward okay. along with LeBron. They're the right. two best forwards of all time. Anybody argues otherwise, 
Sorry, you're, 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 not, you're, you're in over your head on this discussion. Here's the issue about players, the all-time uh, list, uh, exclusive of position. Okay. Any list of 10, and, and, and more than, frankly, five, has to have three centers. So there's not much room for anybody else. you got to have Russell Ream and you got to have Wilt. So what's left? Well, Michael and LeBron. And I'm afraid Larry and, and Magic have been bumped on to six and seven, depending on which one you argue. That's the fact. And then comes Duncan and Kobe and, and uh, you know, a few others. But, but um, no, that's it. Uh, of course, Jerry West and Elgin, uh, that crop. Oscar, don't forget him ever. But anyway, so that's the best. If you're going to go strictly on the best, most greatest players, period, you've got to have those three centers. You got to have them. And that means that doesn't leave much room for anybody else, except for, frankly, you know, the two guys that argue over who's the goat. And, and, and that argument presupposes that you understand the rules. The rules are we're talking about an all around player who did everything, dribble, pass, shoot, defend. Centers are excluded from that discussion. And of course, now they don't exist anymore to start with. But we're talking about when they did have centers. So that's my that's my position. And, I, and, and I'm very unyielding on that. So uh, it's, it's, you know, it, it's six and one half dozen the other with Magic, you know, who's up next. You know, obviously I'm proprietary toward Larry, but I totally respect Magic. And each one of them would argue for the other, which is great. You know, right. I love that relationship. Right. Mine was actually LeBron, Michael, Kareem, Will, Larry. So I guess I didn't have Russell on there. Ah! <laughs> I'm not sure I could continue this discussion. Ah! <laughs> <laughs> all oh. right all right all right let's shift away from this let's shift away from this <laughs> <laughs> okay. okay look so before let's let's go back to before when uh before larry and magic were in the league because i think the 70s was a very interesting time very interesting time nice in the nba want. what do you recall about that time period number one it was the most the best diversion there are eight different teams won titles in the 70s Okay. The, the, it's the, the most diverse decade in the history of the NBA for, for spreading out titles. Uh, it, you know, it was the pre-social media era. It was the pre-internet era. It was the pre-USA Today era. It was a pre-extensive uh, uh, extensive national television era, as we know. Um, it, it was a more intimate mom and pop league in many ways. We still had in the beginning of the decade, the double headers in, and not in the East mostly, mostly but uh, I don't know if they still had any out West, but I could have to look it up. But I can tell you that we still had double headers in Boston. There were double headers in Philadelphia. There were double headers in New York and Baltimore, uh, those four for sure. Uh, so that the league and what people thought we were talking about is, you know, your team would be the your home team would be the second game of doubleheader in which two teams would come in from out of town, a neutral to court and play the first game. And one of those doubleheaders back, I, I, I attended 1966, Will Chamberlain set a record that still stands on a night when he scored 52 points. He set an NBA record for most missed free throws in a game. It's never been topped. 22. He had 22 field goals and eight free throws, eight for 30 from the free throw line that night. And in a first game of a doubleheader against the Seattle Supersonics expansion team uh, in 66-67 season, I think it was in January, which would have made it 67. Anyway, doubleheaders, you had, um, uh, you know, there was, I'm trying to think, um, oh, the, the foul rules were different, three to make two, you know? Three to make two, for, uh, three throws. Um, the, the, uh, the travel was all commercial with the exception of the Knicks who occasionally were chartered. They were the richest team in the league and they, they, could, they could spring on charters. Everyone else 
was uh, commercial. Commercial with was, com commercial with other passengers or commercial by themselves? Oh no 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 no! You they, they checked themselves in uh, uh, and they went to the gate like anybody else. Oh okay. no, with other passengers. Uh, okay. Roommates, you had uh, Salik. So you know, Salik. Oh, you had roommates. Um, yeah. You know, it, it was just a, a a totally different. So and and practices were all open. The only team that had closed practice was the Knicks. Once again, Holtzman had closed practices. At, um, I went to practice every day for those in those years, and and often I was the only one. But uh, it was a much more intimate league. You knew the referees. Uh, um, you know, you just it, it was a it was a big fraternity. And I'll give you one example of the fraternity nature. Um, we were traveling. We've been in the Celtic party. We're going east to west one on uh, on one night, changing planes in Chicago. Didn't even have a, a nonstop flight to L.A. Okay. We had an hour, an hour and a half to kill at O'Hare. And we decided to go, and I mean, everybody, go to the bar. As we were walking down a corridor, a whole gang of very, very tall people were coming in the other direction. It was the Phoenix Suns. They were going west to east, right. changing planes. We all went to the bar. I'm players, trainers, coaches, broadcasters, writers. It was like a fraternity meeting. That was the NBA in seven. Yeah. Now you don't have to meet in person to meet. I think that's the biggest difference. You know, we're all <laughs> but virtual. That, and then the, the basketball uh, was uh, a lot. Of, uh, well, with one, there were different style, mostly up tempo, except for the Bulls. And the Dick Mata Bulls were a very, very um, uh, precise, deliberate team with a very mechanical, methodical offense built around the forwards, Bob Love and, and uh, Chet Walker with those great tough guard, toughest, I'm telling you. The mentally and physically toughest backcourt of all time, Jerry Sloan and Norm Van Leer. And, and uh, I, I often said, and I really believe this, if there had been no 24-second clock at that time, they would have won a couple of championships. They were the in a, best in, a ver in a very boring style, but yeah. Yeah, I, <laughs> I, I used to say they were the best high school team I ever saw. Unbelievable. So, I mean, the league you're describing to me right now seems pretty fun. But when we talk about Magic and Larry, we talk about how they saved the league. So yeah, because the public, the, the PR didn't match, didn't do justice to the league. I, I, I came in, for example, I started covering the league in 1969. I was 23 years old. My primary orientation had, had been college. Uh, I was okay. a big college fan. I went to Boston College. We had four great years under Cousy. Went to two NCAAs, two NITs when that really mattered. Uh, and I was I, I was going to big five games before it was a big five because my father was assistant AD at Villanova when I was growing up. I was big on college. And I went to the, believe me, I went to the Garden to see the Celtics. We would go to the doubleheaders and when the Lakers came in and when the, seven, and the 76ers came in with Wilt. But um, basically, I, I wasn't emotionally attached to the NBA at all. And, and I, I, had, I was a much more of a collegiately oriented person. And took me about two months watching the NBA, saying, "Holy, this is so much better. This, this is this is a higher level, you know." And and but the public was being fed a bunch of BS about they don't play defense, you know. And 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 oh, well, that's still, that's still the case. What we're here, and it's so much BS. It's ridiculous that the, the energies have been channeled into defense by the coaches. And, and that took it, that took uh, that peak 20 years ago when we had that ice age of the league, when you couldn't even score a hundred because they weren't taking enough shots. And now yeah. that, that that's gone. You know, of course the three has something to do with it, but not everything, believe me, not everything uh, for the higher scores. But anyway, um, 
the basketball was terrific, but people didn't know. Uh, they were clinging to this archaic notion, and and they just didn't. They weren't able to sell them. Sell them. And so I I became like a John the Baptist. I was preaching the gospel uh, 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 everywhere I went for the whole decade about how great this league is, and people got to get got to grab. Now, second last two or three years of the seventies, the league had a problem with the drugs, mm. and and and. It, people now had a new reason not to like the league, you know, not, not to, to think ill of the league. And there's no question that the league, there the wasn't the greatest period of time, uh, the 78, 78, 9, 80, and 80, 78, 78, 79. And then thank God Magic and Larry showed up when they did. And they did set the table, you know, for the real transformation, which was Michael, you know, and, 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 and David Stern. You cannot exaggerate the importance of David Stern in, in, in marketing this league. But anyway, um, the, but the, the basketball was was excellent, and there was so there were you know terrific players, and no question, and and some terrific teams. The Knicks started it off with, and of course, that's the most important team in the history of the league in terms of of, of getting some people, again, more people's minds turned around to about basketball, simply because it was in New York, the the center of entertainment and and uh, uh, advertising, and and that captured the uh, you know imaginations that had not been that Knicks team, and. So that, that was a, and I read our back, if you ever heard me say that, you know, he'd come down with a lightning bolt, but I hate to say it, but that team was really important in, in the history of the league. I mean, you mentioned the drug problem. Was that just a reflection of what the country was going through or was it even more heavily just an NBA yeah, thing? It's yeah, it's a good question. Uh, I think is drugs would be just becoming more, you know, uh, more prevalent, uh, more, they, were, they, were, they were being distributed and marketing better in that world, I think. Uh, you know, the, uh, yeah, there was less, and, and you know, people recreation. The, the phrase recreational drugs had never been used in, in the '60s. You know, not not really. I think that that that's something you started here in the '70s. But it did it did take root in the league, and it did you know ruin a few careers, and it did it it did uh, uh, you know it, it definitely was a problem. And um, uh, any of the coaches who coached then will tell you that uh, the guys who are still around, but. Uh, and then really fell out of the sky at the same year and in the right places, you know, to balance it off the, the bi-coastal thing, the Celtics and Lakers having Mag Magic and Larry show up was, was extremely important. But keep in mind, even three years, two years later, when the Celtics won that first championship in the Bird era in 81, beating the Rockets in game six, that game was on delayed tape in, in the East. Yeah, I wanted to uh, shift to the last dance. Um do you feel that Jerry Krause and Scottie Pippen were portrayed unfairly? Well, Krause without question. Okay. And, and Pippen has, is around to defend himself. I mean, he doesn't need me to defend himself or to, or to set the record straight. That's up to him. You know, I have no, he's a great player. Without him, Michael doesn't win, you know, but again, without Kevin and Robert, Larry doesn't win, you know, without right. Kareem. Magic never won without Kareem. Think about think about that. After yeah, left, yeah. We could say. Again. I mean, we could say that about almost every great player. Yeah, right? you need him, of course. And LeBron yeah. needed Kyrie Irving to make those shots, and he needed, you know, and he needs AD this he year. Yeah, AD now. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's that's always going to be true. No one person, you know, uh, you know. All right. So, um, Jerry Krause, own worst enemy, was summed up well by uh, a couple of people. Uh, Steve Kerr early on in the in the Last Dance said he couldn't get out of his own way. And, and it was his own uh, personality flaw. I was one of three known FOJs in the media. Uh, Joe Gilmartin, the late Joe Gilmartin in Phoenix, and Ira Burkow, who is with the New York Times and other uh, various outlets, Chicago guy, and me, 
we were friends. We were very, uh, you know, simpatico with Jerry Krause. I, I, I got to know him when he was a scout and in the 60s and late 60s, early 70s. And and we hit it off. That's all. And and, and he would tell me stuff and, and opinions. And I know I liked them. And we, we, we were friends till he died and friend Lee until he died. Um, he inherited Michael. We all know that. Uh, Rod Thorne, you know, drafted him and, and he lucked out and used Did you notice Rod Thorne admitted that if the Olympics had taken place before the draft, that he never would have gotten Michael Jordan, that he drafted, uh, you know, he got him third after a large one at Sam Bowie, but the Olympics then followed the draft in the summer of 84 when Michael burst upon the scene more than even more than he had in Carolina. So anyway, so he knows he was lucky to get him. Right. And, and, but Jerry Krause built two championship teams. The first group, you know, he draft, he traded up, he traded and maneuvered to get Pippen. Uh, he, he, I got Horace Grant. He signed yep. every other player. He was thinking, mattered. he was, he was thinking European basketball before everybody else. With Tony the second Cooper. time around. Yeah. Second time uh, around. Oh, oh. And the trade for Cartwright, which a lot of us, myself included. Michael stopped. Jordan didn't like that. No, scoffed yeah, yeah. at him, you know? Yeah, yeah. Well, guess what? He was the right man in the right place at the right time for that team. And the second time around, uh, he, he drafted and he, he brought in Grant. Then he got Rodman. He got Kerr, you know, uh, and, and Paxson, those guys to make those shots that Michael, you know, to, to make those passes to the right people. He built those teams, but he wanted too much credit. He wanted all, oh, 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 let's take a 20 here. Almost buried the lead. Phil Jackson, he took Phil Jackson from Albany, the Patroons, and CBA. brought him in to, and, and, and because he had a plan and brought him in behind Doug Collins and had him ready when Doug basically immolated himself, which Doug, I love Doug personally, but, you know, he, he flames out. Jordan a, loved him too. He flames out as a coach. All right. He's, and there, so he gets credit. He gets all the credit, in my opinion, for Phil Jackson being there and so he deserves tremendous credit. Yeah, he was personally a sloppy guy. He was a dumpy little guy, you know, with, uh, and, you know, the whole crumbs thing, you know, I wish he had, <laughs> you know, given Michael that excuse, you know, that kind of thing. And, and he just couldn't get out of the way and, 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 and step back and he wanted to horn in and, and, and be a part of everything. And, and, you know, I, I, you know, I know people that know him that, that like him as I do and, and, and just wish you could have given him the hook, you know, Jerry, don't, don't do this to yourself. He was totally unmaligned and is totally misportrayed and, and he is not around to defend himself. And of course, being Jerry in his defense, he probably would have somehow botched it. <laughs> he probably would have overdone it or something. But uh, so it's left the people like me to try to defend the honor of Jerry Krause. Yeah, I mean, such an interesting decision maker. Let's shift to another interesting decision maker who got signed today by the Sixers. Daryl Morey. Oh, Oh, you know that? Filling, filling in this, the footsteps of Hanky. Yeah. So, I mean, Whoa, I, I wonder what this was. Now, does anybody know if this was in the works? Is any, what are they? It's awful quick. We don't know the details, right? But how it came about. But yeah. But is it fair to say that you're not a fan of the three point revolution? Well, That's I'm what I really want to know. What? Look, I hate <laughs> the three. I think it's the worst thing that happened to <laughs> basketball in my lifetime without question. It's distorted the game, it's ruined wow. the game. It, and, and, and then, you know, it, because it, it's just not right. It's just, just stupid. You don't need it. We never needed it. It was, you have to, people don't realize this. I don't think about this. Okay. Now, and, and these, 
this three-point shot was the gimmick of a promoter. That's where it came into being in professional basketball. Abe Saperstein, the owner of the Globetrotters, the famous inventor and creator of the Globetrotters, yep. formed a league in 1960 called the American Basketball League, A-B-L. And it ran for a year and a half. And he instituted the three-point shot as a gimmick to, 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 to try to jazz up the game for, for casual fans. And ABA adopted it when it came into being in 1966. The ABL folded in a year and a half. Um, but the, uh, by the way, one of the owners was George Steinbrenner, who hired John McClendon, and therefore getting the actual credit for being the first owner to hire a black coach in professional basketball was George Steinbrenner hiring John McClendon. Anyway, when the ABA came into being in 66, they adopted it with the red, white, and blue ball, et cetera. Okay. I just think it distorts the game and, and the emphasis on the, it makes it a circus some nights and the emphasis on, on it is just too much. And Daryl Morey has exploited it. Obviously he, he, he completely took it from here to there and, and, and did the math on it. And, you know, if you shoot 33% on, on threes, you know, it's like 50% on twos and there's no denying that, but uh, he's eliminated the low post game. He's eliminated a half of the game that, you know, the game used to be inside out. That was the play. Everybody wanted to play inside out. Especially in, the 90, especially in the 90s. And now it's out, father out, and Uranus. You know, I mean, that's the game now. And it's, it's and when you see, and I hear this, everybody in America that 12-year-old that, kids cranking up threes, high school's threes. Uh, I think it's the worst thing out in basketball. You know, and I laugh when, when, when we have the end of one season when the Rockets missed their last 27 attempts in, in, that, in, in that playoff game. Uh, or when the Warriors don't win that championship because all they needed was one little two-point shot to stem the bleeding in the last four minutes of that game against Cleveland in 15 or 16, whichever it was, and all they were doing was cranking threes and missed them all. So I'm not going to hear about it. Uh, I hate that. All right, but yeah, Daryl Morey, he's a very smart guy. We obviously know that. Yes. And, 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 and he's – but I think that he – is the Tony La Russa of basketball, Tony La Russa being the worst thing happened to baseball in the last 30 years with this pitcher manipulation and his micromanaging. And, and Dow Morey is the, is the worst thing to happen to basketball in this last 20 years. With, and, and it ain't going back. You know, it's not going back. Oh, this will be interesting uh, with that team. Yeah. Uh, what's he, uh, does he, does he know that they have Ben Simmons on that team? Yeah, they have two does, guys. Huh? They have two guys that are kind of what you would call cloggers. Yeah, like they, they, you know, they scored near the rim for the most part. I mean, Joel could shoot decent, uh, okay, sometimes good. But you're right. They got two guys that really don't fit. Their two stars really don't fit his style of play. Now, Joel, actually, he can make it. You know, yeah. he's not, he's not. Uh, he's like, uh, a, I would say he's an average three-point shooter. He's not Jokic and he's not, no, no. Uh, he's not even Towns. But, but yeah, he can. But, you know, the whole, this is, this is the anti-match made in heaven between he and Ben Simmons. Well, I think Joel, Ben, and Daryl will all have to adjust to make this work, yeah, right? Yeah, they will. That's a fascinating hire. Well, boy, I, got, I need time to digest that one. <laughs> all right, so, I mean, the three-point line is here to stay, Bob. So what I know you, it is. I hate okay, it. Okay, but what would you like to see get done to bring back some of the balance of shot selection? I guess – you know, I like to say we need a dominant big man that everybody could admit that the, it would be stupid to pry him away from the basket and not and not to let him do his thing. We do have a couple of people who can score low. You know, Towns can, and yeah. and and, uh, and and Joel can. Joel can. I mean, I know from why he kills the Celtics. He he spends a lot of time low against the Celtics. At least he used to. We'll see what happens now. 
Um, I know how good he can be down there. Um, I just want some balance, balance in the game. It's, it's, it's just so oriented to the three. Uh, it, it's, it's craziness. And of course, the Rockets took, what, 45 a game last year. And, uh, you know, I mean, I, I, it's, it, it's, it's amazing. It's, I mean, I've watched the whole evolution of it. it, it, it I, I think back, it's so funny to think that uh, uh, how it was, people were like, it was toxic in the beginning. Teams were, didn't know what to make of it. The first year, I mean, I, you can go look up the numbers, but somebody was 13 for 75 as a team for the whole first year. I think it was the Hawks, somebody was. Um, but, you know, I mean, I watch, I watch how Larry Bird became the first strategic exponent of the three. He was the first great three-point shooter who used it as a really uh, carefully orchestrated strategic weapon. And he made the first three in an all-star game. He made a three to put away game six and won their first championship in 81 in a left-hand corner. I can still see it. Uh, but, and I bet the most he ever took in a game was five or six. Maybe uh, he had five one night, so he must've taken seven or eight. But, you know, that's the other thing. When you're comparing eras and players now and you're looking back at, uh, you know, Larry, if you told him, you know, it's Larry, we really would like you to take 12 or 13, you know, or 10 or 12. Okay, Larry, he'd take them and he'd make them. I don't know if people don't know this. There was a road trip that he made in the 85, 86 season when he went 25 to 34 in threes. Wow. And that's as good a three-point bench as, as, as Curry or anyone else has ever had. Uh, he, he was a great three-point shooter. You know, that team, when you're talking about comparing teams, I'm jumping around here, but I'm just saying when you're comparing teams, he was a three-point shooter. Ainge led the league in percentage one year. Wedman was a three-point shooter. DJ could make it, and he would have been would not have been afraid to take him. So you got four guys there, and two of whom were really, really three of them were really, really good. If you told them you could take, you know, twenty-five percent more threes, to, they, you know, on top of what they already could do, they'd be pretty. They compete pretty well today. I think. You know, it's interesting. Pistol Pete's last year, they actually had the three line, and I think he went ten for fifteen, right? Yeah, Pistol Pete. Yeah, was a, his last year was seventy nine eighty. Came to the Celtics in January. Uh, you know, it, it didn't. You know, he and, and people always speculate. People have always speculated if they had had the three when he was in college, when he averaged forty four points a game over three years, how many would he have averaged? And right. uh, once again, it would have been how much would he be encouraged to do so? And uh, you know, it, I would have been up to him, but I don't think it's inconceivable he would have averaged close to fifty if 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 he you know chucked up enough threes. He, he, so. What was, La- what was Larry's thoughts about Pete? He liked Pete. He was sorry. We were all sorry Pete didn't come back. Pete didn't come back because he didn't want to play for Bill Fitch. And, yeah, uh, and they – wait, didn't, didn't they win the championship the year he stopped playing? The next year, they won. They yeah. won, right? Yeah. Uh, he, was a, he, he came up in Bird's rookie year. They got beaten uh, five games by the 76ers in, in the playoffs after having a better regular season record than the Sixers. But the Sixers beat him in the playoffs. And then the next year, uh, Pete retired. And that, that, but that's when they traded on draft day for Mikhail and Parrish. So it was a very different, uh, better team the next year for sure. But uh, he would have, it was too bad. I felt, you know, I would have loved, and I liked, by the way, he was fun to have around. I was really looking forward to spending a whole season with him, getting to know him even better. And uh, I didn't get that opportunity. Was he willing to accept the role to win a championship? Did you feel like, because, you I know, think he, so. yeah, I do. I think, I think he respected Larry, first of all, a lot. And wow. I think that, I think so. But Bill Fitch, who obviously I don't think Red would have brought him in if Bill wouldn't didn't want him. And but once he got him, he, he just gave him a hard time. And Bill could, you know, Bill was, you know, he was a stickler. Is a deep, I don't know. It's well, of course he wore on the team eventually in the fourth year anyway, and they all quit on him except for Larry. And uh, but Pete just didn't want to play for him. I don't think. And and uh, 
um, he, he just went home. And then that's it. Wow. Yeah. Wow. All right. So uh, last thing before we get out of here, uh, <laughs> modern day Celtics, what are your thoughts what do you think they need to do to become yeah. legit? I mean, I guess some would call them legit title contenders now, but what would they? They're, need to they're do? they they you fell know. short, and, um, yeah. But what they needed for three years is a guy who, when he fills out his IRS and his income tax, he puts down under occupation registered jump shooter. They need a guy off the bench who can shoot. They need that extra scorer. You know, the the closest thing that you can find, the Lou Williams you can find. That's how about JJ? How about JJ Reddick? I'll pick him up at the airport. Happily, I'll happily do that. <laughs> yeah, he's still got it. J- Jamal and, Crawford. And they should be drafting that where they when they're picking. They should be going whoever's the best shooter out there left. You know, they drafted Carson Edwards last year, and he went off and got eight threes in a play in an exhibition game in Charlotte. Got and I said eight. I don't know if you know this. And summer made, league too, right? Summer league. Yeah, he but he had well. eight in an exhibition game in a okay. real exhibition game. Okay. By all in five minutes, he had eight, he made eight threes. And and I said, This is not good. He's gonna get everybody excited. No one's that good, right? Well, he wasn't. <laughs> oh, I don't man. know, I don't know what's gonna be like in year two, but they need a scorer. That's number one. And if they could undo one mistake, and that was letting Aaron Baines go, get him back, that would be just as, as good enough of a player of that nature as you need for them to augment to balance what they have up front. Uh, he, uh, you can handle the pick and roll situation on defense, stretch the floor a little bit. Um, you know, that, that kind of player, because they're so uncertain. Daniel Tice had a really good year for them, yep. but there, there's a limit to what he can accomplish, but he really gave them a good year. Uh, Robert Williams is still an X factor. Um, he's a, he's a, clearly is a, is a professional shot blocker. He's an athlete, you know, quote unquote, uh, his offense is still a thing in a uh, work in progress. Um, he can be muscled around, of course, but uh, he helped them win some playoff games. He was a very, he was instrumental in some playoff games this year. Uh, if he could build on that, that'd be fine. But I would like some kind of physical presence in the middle would be good. But number one, they got, they need another scorer off the bench. They, their bench productions at certain games in the playoffs was woeful. Particularly when they had, when they lost Hayward and had to start smart, not that smarts that kind of player, but he will have his moments. You know, he made five threes in a game uh, this year in the playoffs. He'll, he'll, he's not afraid to take them. We joke about that in Boston, you know, how much, you know, he, he just won't stop shooting it when he, but what he's still, he's a, theoretically there's some points coming off the bench. They didn't have anything with, with Hayward going. Now Hayward, he could opt out. I keep saying, Oh, Hey Gordon, please. why, why, why would he opt out? I mean, the money, who's going to sign him? You know, yeah. the, the, the money he makes, I, I, yeah. he had a good year yeah. and everything. And, and that game was going great. Three minutes to go. He came down and stepped on somebody's foot. Yeah. Now things happen to him. You wonder what is it? You know, I mean, that's three years in a row. It's uh, out of four. Something's happened. You know, and uh, and but uh, he was. You could see what you know. His value was evident, and and uh, the ball moves. And uh, yeah, oh yeah. god. It, now so anyway. Now all that said, Tatum had a breakthrough year, and he's only going to get better. Brown had a terrific year, and 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 J- Jalen, yeah, forward tandem. Yeah. Um. And and you know, smart. And, and of course, uh, uh, you know, uh, Kemba, Kemba, Kemba yeah. had a terrific year. In the end, his knee was bothering him. I think yeah, that's what no I thought. He wasn't the same, but uh, we're very happy with Kemba. And we, you know, so there you go. They're nice. They're on the verge. They're knocking on that door, you know, and that's, and, uh, you know, and they're fun to watch and they're, they're, they're very rootable. Optimism, optimism. I agree with you. Depth. I think Kemba and, 
and Gordon were hurt. I think it was and the and Bam Bam hurt them, man. Bam hurt them in that. Bam series. hurt them. That's it. Uh, Bam really torched them, and uh, uh, Tice couldn't stop them, and Williams couldn't stop them, and uh, you know they they they, you know I'm not saying Baines is a, yeah, but I think he could have had an, uh, an effect, and I wish he had never left. I I didn't like it when he left, and and uh, and he had a, you know he was playing really well for Phoenix for a while. Uh, so anyway, but. Um, Maybe they can go find somebody in the market. Maybe not anyway, but certainly the shooter is paramount to me. Paramount. Yeah. Bob, man, I really appreciate you being on this show. A true basketball guru. Um, where can we find you? What are you working on? Uh, well, work, I do two podcasts. Okay. One with Mike Lupica and Mitch Album, the sports reporters, my buddies from TV for 29 years. We're on Mondays and Thursdays. And we're on all the traditional outlets, you know, you, the, the laundry list, Spotify, blah, 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 boom, blah, boom. We're on everywhere. <laughs> and Amazon even. And then Jeff Goodman and I started a podcast in the uh, late uh, fall last year, basketball only. We do once a week and that's floats around different days because Jeff, unlike me, is still working and is busy. He's got a lot going on. But boy, is he encyclopedic on college and pro. And uh, he, he and I, uh, we knew each other for you know, a number of years, but um, this is the first time we worked together and it's, it's been really good. So keep out for the Ryan Goodman podcast and that's, that's basketball. And he's lined up during the course of the summer. He has some wonderful guests for us. We, we did a number of podcasts from out of the bubble. You know, we got people that were in the bubble, particularly in the beginning of the, of the summer, uh, including Duncan. We had all the local guys, you know, Duncan Robinson, Michael Carter Williams, uh, Connaughton, George Niang, and okay. they're all terrific. So, uh, you know, they're all out there. You can go locate those podcasts and, and they're all bright young men. They were, they were a lot of fun. Yeah, Jeff's been on my show, actually. He's great to talk basketball with. And you still write once in a while for yeah, the Globe, Yeah, I was right? writing for eight years after I retired in 12, uh, okay. twice a month for the Globe and uh, until the pandemic hit. And I'm on, I'm on uh, you know, not on waivers. I'm, I'm on the uh, injured list there, the, uh, okay. the pup list, uh, I'm, although I'm fine. But... Uh, you know, they weren't paying any freelancers, to be honest, anymore. You know, they couldn't afford to deal with that. I was getting paid as a freelance. So hopefully, you know, we'll get back to the new normal, whatever it will be. Uh, maybe by the beginning of the new year, I hope that, that they'll be able to bring me back. So right, that's and my other writing now that I've been doing for uh, since 1976, 44 years. I'm the longest standing contributor to Basketball Times. Wow. The monthly, the monthly paper. And uh, I'm still writing there. I've been writing since 1976. And uh, that's, I really enjoy doing that. So uh, that's, uh, you can go Google basketball times and, and uh, you'll, you'll find it. You can get a subscription and, uh, and, and, you know, that's it. So that's where I write. Bob, you got to let them know where they can find you on Twitter before we get out of here. At Globe Bob Ryan. At Globe Bob Ryan. And, uh, you know, I tweet. Uh, yeah. Oh yeah. I'm, okay. a, I'm embroiled in a controversy now over candy bars. So <laughs> yeah, that's, that's the raging thing. I got more response to getting a, on candy bars than almost anything I've done in, you know, 10 years. So, All you right. know, people are very proprietary toward their Twix. I find it has a lot of fans. Okay. Okay. <laughs> Bob, great stuff. You're always welcome back on the show. would love to do it again. Talk soon. Anytime. There it is. Another episode of Combo's Court is in the books. Big thanks to Bob for joining in. We appreciate you. Combo Nation. Don't forget to rate, review, and punch down on that subscribe button. If you haven't already, be on the lookout for episode 211. Combo out.